absolutely phenomenal. And how do you put statistics on this, Phil? This isn't measurable because this is the art of human. I think there's tears in your eyes, Raymond. It's September 1st. Welcome to the Soccer in Theory podcast with Rehan Ahmed and Mark Jay. I am Ashwin Bajaj. And together we'll be discussing the events coming out of the world of football and look towards the week ahead. You can follow us on the Soccer in Theory podcast, available both on Apple and Spotify, and also on our website, soccerintheory.com. So today we'll be discussing Champions League and the, the groups, the matches coming up, a bit about where Liverpool and City are, also look to Spain and in France. Before we get to the matches, I'm going to start with the transfer window, which closes today, or is already closed. And for, well, it was pretty spectacular transfer window and the amount of movement, player movement, high profile movement. But what's interesting is that when we look back at this transfer window, it was actually the transfers that didn't happen. Mbappe, Ronaldo, and Frankie de Jong. These were the probably the three big, big, big stories, or at least high-profile stories, which, um, which, which completely um, saturated the summer in a sense. Brian, what, what do you reckon? I mean, which which transfer or which set of transfers were the standout for you? Which clubs really sort of gone in and done some intelligent business and who's just throwing money out there hoping people to come for players to come yeah i'd have to think about that but um just off the bat it strikes me that chelsea is just throwing money around in ways (laughs) that like um may not be very well thought out and again as you said i like that the the transfer that didn't happen seemed to it's kind of like a relief if you're rooting at all for Chelsea, that some of these transfers just didn't happen. Or at this point, I might just be underinformed. Like the Anthony Gordon thing, like how right. much were they willing to pay? And like also, I'm kind of, I still have like a sort of anxiety that I'll hear something in like four hours that actually this one just went, slipped through under the radar and um, <laughs> you, know, you didn't, didn't know about it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I actually think that Anthony transfer for United is potentially a coup. They don't, not that they really needed, well, I don't know if they really need, I just really enjoy watching him play. And he's one of the best sort of like flamboyant dribblers in the game. Um, so it'll be, hopefully they just put him on that right wing and let him play. Um, and I think Casemiro was also a really good signing. Early days, his played 30 minutes against Leicester, looked good. Um, Even at his still, age? Yeah, I mean, especially, well, the, 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 in terms of in, evaluating it long-term, maybe that will come in. But right now, the age is still his prime, I think. You know, it's uh, they just sort of, yeah, he made a, a fairly big mistake, but the rest of the time in the run of play, his, um, he looks good. And they're, they're kind of, if he's part of that double pivot and has time on the ball, his... Uh, you want him taking it off the center back, not Scott McTominay. Um, so, yeah, in a weird way, I think the United uh, window wasn't nearly as bad as, you know, people are panicking because obviously they're still a bad team. But um, 
uh, and uh, and then the city one. It's hard to argue with Holland, and I mean his. I think those are the the best ones, but um, oh, but I think actually the best one might just end up being Arsenal, uh, including Saliba coming back in, uh, strengthening everywhere except for they were hope, hoping to improve in the in the depth behind Partey in center mid and they almost got Douglas Louise through but didn't at the end so um, yeah I think what surprised me in the negative end I guess I thought Liverpool would strengthen that midfield we talked about that being a weak spot and they just uh, Artur is the only it's a big question I used to love Artur when he was at Barca and it just fizzled out by the time he went to Juve. So I hope he finds it, you know, he, but he gets that mojo back, but I'm not so sure. And I remember uh, like in the Classico in like 2017 or 2018, they were calling him the next Javi and he, yeah. he came off after like 70 minutes to a standing ovation. And I was thinking this guy is, he's so class. He's yeah. so class, but I can't think if it was, really him fizzling or like Valverde trying to muscle up the midfield playing like a 33-year-old Vidal yes. next to Rakitic. Yeah. And so everyone I, faded at Juve. So I feel like he might still have it. Yeah, well, that's the hope because at Barca, I think he definitely didn't get a full chance. But then when he moved over to Juve, at points he was just, uh, you know, I was watching and he'd take the ball off the center back and he just was misplacing passes and things it's um so it's interesting because on the other hand it's like him and tiago together with fabinho that would be an interesting like trio but i don't know it's also a position that required a bit more creativity he's great with like he keeps the ball and then he can pass laterally but somehow that aspect of his game which they were hoping would develop which was through balls and things like that with javi used to be a lot better at, obviously. Right. That didn't sort of take off in the way. It's still strange for them to exchange him for Pjanic, considering the age. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. But, you know, well, it's Barcelona. Yeah, I think that was seems... accounting or, some, or something, but I don't know. It's <laughs> he, seems like a classic, he seems like a classic player that might only be able to play in a really top team. Um, once the ball gets scrappy in like a Liverpool yeah. match, I'm not sure he'll excel. I'm just gonna ask you guys a question. So you said top team. I was gonna, I was gonna go the other way. Maybe he'll really shine in a different kind of setup. And his his uh, erstwhile colleague Puj, Ricky Puj, who's gone to LA, surprising perhaps, <laughs> but he stayed for a long time in Barcelona. Was passed over, and I think for good reason. Um, by manager after manager, but he's gone there. I mean, it's still early days, but he's had a pretty good start. He's a very, very good assist, a nice 30-yard strike. So it really sets that he didn't have the physicality for one of the top five European leagues, but when you set your sights a little lower, you know, you could sort of see, I mean, maybe that's a decision that a lot of players need to be making or will be forced to make at certain points who knows well well ricky's listed at five seven i think he's more like 
as someone who's actually five seven, I can tell Solid you that he's five, no five. taller. He's no taller than five five, and he's listed at one hundred and twenty pounds. So I don't think he has the physicality for even like the American college circuit. Although he's done yeah, well. He's, actually, well, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say otherwise. Like I think you know he's. His low center of gravity. I thought he played well in those 15 yeah, appearances last year for Barca. And, you know, I think he could, in terms of physicality, you come to the U.S., MLS is a physical league. Yeah, It's exactly. one of the things that's got, it, it, you know, you don't come here if you lack the physicality. It's kind of one of the annoying parts about watching MLS games because your guys are getting clattered in that <laughs> midfield. Um, what I also so meant I th- about physicality yeah. is the ground that you have to cover. I mean, that I right. think that was one of Fuji's, um, right. because in the end, physicality, Xavi and Iesta are not the hugest of people, right? They're not Vieira <laughs> or Roy Keane or Cantona. That's the thing. I think if he stayed in Spain, it would be a perfect league for him. And Italy would be great too, because the US, I mean, MLS, I just see people just sprinting. It's like an American football style. Like it's long yeah. balls and turnover, get back in transition over and over. Um, as soon as you as soon as you see a U.S. national match or an MLS match, it seems like the pitch is only two thirds the size of a Premier League match. I've never <laughs> quite figured out exactly what is happening, but it's just everyone is so close to one another. Um, so yeah, a player of his caliber, he'll it'll seem like he has an endless amount of space because yeah, it is an interesting point though, Ashwin. Like no European star, not that he's a star, but he's close enough that I can remember so has come over. Yes, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So Coming young, over yeah. at the age of 23, it's like, yeah. like I remember. Giovinco was worse in a sense yeah, because he yeah. came when he was like 27 or so, and he definitely could have just played at a Champions League team. He wasn't getting in at Juve, and he just tore up the MLS. So, I know there are a lot of transfers to talk about, and and we will, but. Mbappe, I mean, obviously everyone's surprised. The good thing is he made his decision early rather than Ronaldo, who, you know, as we're speaking, you might have a decision that he's leaving or something. But he made his decision early, allowed PSG to perhaps structure the team with him in mind. It was very important, I think. Um, I remember Figo, the bigger problem of, apart from him leaving for Real Madrid is that he left right at the end. So they didn't really have a chance to regroup. But what is it? Did did you, I can't imagine even seeing this 10 years ago where a player who is thought of as the next big thing, more than Haaland in a lot of ways, will actually choose after six years to not leave the club that he's been talking about for the last two years and and, then vouch to leave. It's, It's a strange thing. You imagine... Is going to be a common thing that you're going to be so attracted by money and so on? I don't know. I don't know about like the broader abstract uh, like universality of what's happening with Mbappe. I just think it's a bad decision on his part. And it's a bad, like, I think I'm hyperbolic when we speak how negative I am towards PSG, but it just seems like his, his game has peaked. That's, that's been my sense like he he it's just not a league that pushes you on forward and he was already like the best player in the world when he was like 20 years old and he doesn't seem to have improved that much or it doesn't seem like he's really elevating next to Messi and Neymar and he seems to have a tremendous ego where he wants the entire club structure to go to go through him okay he it seems like 
the coach and the technical director that he brought in, they may be actually good for the club. But I think overall to have a single player dictating the structure of a club is, is in the long run a, a bad a bad move. I don't um, and it seems like that's the only way PSG kept him was by saying, Okay, you get to make basically all decisions of the club run through you. Um, and maybe it won't matter because PSG just have an endless amount of money. Um, but it doesn't I don't know. It it just seems like staying in Paris like you've seen it with Verratti. I think if Verratti made a move like three or four years ago, we would have seen his game um, really elevate. But he's been like the same level of player um, for like six, seven years now. It's almost like a waste of a career in a way. Like if Verratti didn't win the Euros last year, I would say it's like a totally underwhelming career based on the the talent that he has. And same with Neymar going to PSG. It just seems like he wants to chill, party, play against mediocre players, dance, you know, celebrate, and doesn't want to get tackled very often, that sort of thing. Doesn't want to defend. <laughs> yeah, Ram, go ahead. I, I, yeah, I disagree on the variety point. That's an interesting contrast just because I think just the way PSVG play, he's had to do so much work in that midfield. It's almost like a yeah. training session. Like, you know, you're, he's playing 2v, 2v4 in the midfield all the time. And it's like, you have to beat two guys. Then you find one of the other, one of the top front three. But I think you're spot on in general. Um, although if Mbappe is the one who's really running, pulling the strings, um, he did some good business, I think, yeah. you know, <laughs> in that midfield. This, like, they needed to strengthen that midfield too. Renato Sanchez is perfect for them. Um, yeah. And Carlos Soler is a really good, versatile player coming from Valencia. And um, the last bit was just as good. If you're gonna talking about the best young, you know, box to box, all around center midfielders, um, they just got Fabian Ruiz from Napoli, also. So it's yeah, wild. That's a if it, now it's not just Verratti and you know and Mitinia that so that strengthening that midfield I think was a big high on the agenda, and they did a great job of that. The defense all around those wingbacks we talked about, best ones in the world. So, again, Champions League should be fun, um, especially because I think Bayern, um, we'll probably talk about that Munchen-Gabag match later, but Bayern is a f- is also a machine, but without Lewandowski, they're a little, it's, they're, they're not the same juggernaut, let's say, in terms of the final third, so. I don't know. Maybe PSG has got it this year again. I'll keep saying this until they lose in the quarterfinal. Well, one plug-in about Ronaldo. Um, I, saw him play, <laughs> I saw him play today. Now, it's strange that this is a player who obviously we know who he is and, and what he's done for the game and what he's meant for the game in the last 15 years. But just last year, Pep said that he and Messi are the two players when City were courting him the two players who have earned the right to go wherever they want. And one year later, he's been sh- shopped everywhere and no one wants him. But <laughs> I saw him play today. I mean, he just came on in the 65th minute or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's possible. Obviously, with Ronaldo, you don't know when the ego will implode or explode. But if he finally has had some realization that, okay, I'm no longer the player that I was. And the best 
And the other thing is he's not done himself any favors because now Ten Hag doesn't owe him anything, doesn't need to start him in any game because in the end, well, he was leaving and he couldn't leave, which is why he's here. If he plays what the way he did today, I mean, it wasn't like something spectacular, but a player, a solid center forward who comes in in the last 20, 25 minutes, stabilizes the game, has a good touch. Um, if you give him the ball in the box, he could probably do a lot. He can't do everything that he used to do before, a lot of which is speed and dribbling and so on. But I think if he accepts the more modest role that he may be able to play, I think it wouldn't be a complete failure. It's not going to be the seasons that you've seen in the past or even last year. But I, I thought I saw a slightly different Ronaldo. Maybe it was just... Yeah. He was feeling a little disconsolate that no one wants him anymore. No big club wants him. And, and, and that actually made him play a little better. Mm. But I'm wondering whether that could work out I, slightly differently than, than what we anticipate. I don't know. I mean, I think it was because Leicester was down 1-0. And so they had to push. And, and so every time when all they got it, it was sort of 3v1 was brewing. And I mean, he looked right. he looked good. That, that bicycle, that was peak Ronaldo I mean just technique hitting it off the ground early um but I think he'll be fine it's kind of when I say peak Ronaldo I think like you said not younger Ronaldo the last two years with Real when he sort of became a center forward and decided he wasn't going to dribble or go wide um yeah he's not going to be people but I don't know he's never had this issue before when you say the ego He's never had someone be like, okay, what if you just come off the bench and pay, play 20 minutes a game? So well, that's the thing. That's what I'm saying. Really, I've never thought his ego was that mentality. big of a problem. Yeah, I've never thought his ego was that big of a problem, but this time it might be. <laughs> it's like, the, the thing is, yeah. the thing is, is that narcissism is a very malleable category. You can easily, narcissism, <laughs> you, you don't want to be disliked. So you could easily channel your narcissism towards being the ultimate team player. And at least for like a year, you know, he might get into like that that identity of being, oh, they didn't think I could be a team player. Like I was, I mean, it's, it's kind of what Zlatan did at Milan. You know, he, he was coming off the bench and giving their team talks and things. Oh, you don't and, think I'm humble? I'm gonna be the humble. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. There's something. There's something to be said about that. I mean, he still has, he still has great capabilities. I mean, but uh, but yeah, it's uh. It, the thing that's odd to me in the transfers is, uh, is is first of all how much money everyone's spending. Halan seems like a coup. He's not even really near the top of that list in terms of how much they spent on him. If I'm seeing the figures right, it was something, in, you know, like okay, but th that's like right around. It was the fee is right around what Newcastle just spent for Isaac. Liverpool yeah. spent more for Nunez. Man United just spent more for Anthony. I mean, it seems just like I remember thinking, like you know, we 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 often get our predictions wrong, but I, I don't I don't wager sort of on like ethical grounds most of the time. But I wonder what his odds were for the golden boot at the beginning of the year because that seems like a very <laughs> like it seems like it seems like a very easy uh, easy uh, yeah. win for him already. He's he, he's absolutely running away with things. But in terms of the the like the the signings more generally. I put out these figures in terms of like Premier League versus other leagues. Okay, so Premier League total expenditures two billion dollars. Syria A, uh, two billion pounds. Syria six hundred seventy million pounds, so one third. Bundesliga four hundred thirty-five million. 
Liga 430 and La Liga 415. And so Premier League spent $2 billion and they only brought in $800. Uh, million. So their net, their net was less, uh, was a loss of 1.2 billion pounds. So it seems like extremely lopsided. And then another thing that the athletic put out was that eight of the eight of Europe's top 10 biggest spending clubs this window were English. So <laughs> including Nottingham Forest, who brought in 18 new players this window, 18. And did you see they've got a uh, Lodi from Atletico? So yeah, they, they got... <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, how is Atletico? That, that one is nuts. Yeah. How is an Atletico, you know, established player going to a team just promoted who already signed seventeen players in the well, window? He's prior straight to up world class. Like I know. He's, 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 <laughs> yeah. So so West Ham spent more money than Real Madrid in in the window, um, and so West did Wolves. Ham, West Ham managed to get Paqueta, who I know at least Chichi in yeah. Brazil. He thinks of him as an important player. I think he comes on and even starts for Brazil quite often, which is quite surprising. A team like West Ham can attract that kind of talent. And, and Wolves brought in Nunes from Sporting. And, and West Ham also brought in Kerr, who started, I mean, often he played terribly, but he started for PSG very often outside back. And Emerson, they brought in Emerson as well, and he was starting for Italy in the, in the Euros final. I love um, the Lucas so... Paqueta career trajectory. <laughs> Milan, Leon, West Ham. <laughs> but I guess nothing beats the Those... Renan Lodi one of like, you know, mul- multiple Champions League goals one year, plus starting for Nottingham Forest the next year. <laughs> Did you guys see that the Bellerin went back to Barca? He's probably yeah, going to slot right in. Good for him. That's a great. Um, shout out to Serginio Dest, the American going to on loan to AC Milan. I think that's a good spot for him, but they're I, not able I think to that works out for all Alba, of them. Barcelona trying to, but I don't think they succeeded in getting rid of Alba. <laughs> Who would take him? <laughs> Who would take him? Would you take him in your Maybe <laughs> Barcelona B or something. Um, what do you guys? What do you guys think about how? I mean, there's so much money being spent now on players, and I mean, okay, most of it is going to England or being spent by the English clubs. But does this also reflect something about how the youth academies of these various clubs are either not producing the kind of players they used to? Well, that's that's one, but also that coming through the ranks now isn't following the traditional path. So I'm thinking about Elish Mariba, who was doing fairly well last year in the few starts that Komen gave him. But suddenly he moves to, I think it was Leipzig because he's been offered more money there. So the trajectory of your development at 17 or 18, you're suddenly poached by a different club and that may not work. I mean, it hasn't worked in his case. Of course, he has his, a lot of his career still left. But is that also affecting matters that a certain trajectory from the youth team to the first team, and then you hang around there for a few years, that's sort of short-lived now. It's, it's obstructed by another big club right. or even a smaller club poaching you. Is that one of the things that is affecting the transfer window over the years? Like, how, how do you guys see the transfer windows evolving or transfer market evolving over the last 15, 20 years? I think that's a really good point. 
because I'm trying to think of someone who did it in the traditional trajectory, and the main one that's coming to mind is Pedri. So it seems like in order to do it at that level, you have to be already like one of the world's preeminent players. But even Pedri came from Las Palmas, right? At 17. That's right. So I'm saying a play. So yeah, that's a good point. I'm trying to think like, I mean, I don't know if Harvey Elliott came through the system, but it seemed at Liverpool, it seems like, it seems like there's too much, there's too much money at these clubs fingertips where unless you're absolutely world-class proven, they can just bring in someone else. So like Harvey Elliott, he's a pretty good player and he's English, so they'll get him some pedigree. But I mean, they'll bring in Artur and, you know, and he's probably just much better than Harvey Elliott. So why? And I mean, Curtis Jones was already trying to, you know, they were trying to plug him in, but how good do you have to be? And so it's, it's a totally, I mean, I, it's a different sport, but I remember talking to my dad like a few weeks ago and he was talking about when I was following sports when I was young, we would have the same players on our team. <laughs> like, give or take one player, it would be the same team for like 10 straight years. So it seems like it's not just soccer. It's like across all these different sports, there's just like a mania, uh, almost like an that's ADD. A, that's a good um, uh, relevant point, I think, is that, that what soccer has taken from baseball, like the success of the, I guess, to the movie, uh, Moneyball has become like a term mm. that is used in the British media and sporting press now and basically based off of the billy bean man general manager uh, general managed oakland a a's and how they basically had no um no budget back in the early 2000s and were uh, and used were cutting edge in terms of using advanced statistics to sort of um you know recruit players and that model has been ideal the the ideal for teams like brentford right who are most famous for doing that well but in the process of chasing the money ball ideal what Brentford, Brentford did was that they um they shut down their uh their academy and apparently a lot of other clubs are following suit because the idea mm-hmm. is that we just have a b team instead and mm-hmm. you know you keep recruiting heavily you know, getting a lot of Scandinavian players and you know other younger players but the cost of uh what it takes to develop a young player is not worth it especially if you're a Brentford because if they're good enough, they're just going to go to Man City uh, when they're 16. So you can't have them eight years, eight to 15, you know. So at that, I I wonder, because in terms of you know, like Scandin- Scandinavian capitalism coming to right. um, Britain on the one hand, and then like the American capital coming for the rest of the British teams on the other. Mm-hmm. So. I wonder how that on two halves or from two angles, you've squeezed out the um, traditional academy system, maybe. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. It seems like there's something happening with with global capital also, where it's just like the same in the consumer market. I can just get anything from around the world when I walk into the store. And it seems like these clubs these top clubs like the rest of the world football used to just be like we were talking about a few weeks ago like maybe brazilian soccer argentine soccer and 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 maybe portuguese would be like these factories for the top for top western european clubs but now it's like even like the championship becomes a factory uh la liga i mean la liga is negative 60 million in terms of they they released 60 million more pounds in terms of player costs than they brought in so even they're becoming a sort of factory there's so many um 
basically it's 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 like um <laughs> they're just absorbing all the best players from around the world they're just soaking it up um in the same way that whatever you know um imperial countries are soaking up like the surplus value from other countries if you make a marxist point but also there's this internal thing you're saying with the money ball where it's just they're figuring there's so much more analytics and math so the idea of just we've brought in this kid he's really good let's keep him that's what everton is trying to do with anthony gordon they're like no he's our kid like this guy is absolutely world class it's like no he's not we've all seen him play He's not that good. Chelsea, but still Chelsea's trying to spend 60 million pounds on him. Yeah. I just looked up the number and he got turned down. So there's lots yeah. of different different angles to this thing. I think the money, I mean, when you talk about global capital, I think the amount of money that's funneled into football or soccer now, I think somewhere this is also a symptom of the crisis of value production, that there are not enough avenues for investment. So these really right. image-oriented businesses like football in a lot of ways, um, you're finding these huge conglomerates now and even nation states trying to find avenues of investment when all the, well, a lot of the traditional models of investment or, or funnels of investment are now no longer as not just profitable, but it just no no longer seems like a business which will grow in right. the way you want it to. The markets are saturated. Like yeah. the markets of production are saturated and monopolized. Exactly. So you just come in and you buy like what's his name? The guy from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and um what's that actor, Ryan Reynolds? They just randomly yeah. bought, you know, some club and made a Hulu special Rexham about it. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like a you know, it's it's like a parody of itself. Like they're already yeah, making the Hulu special yeah. like it's not even after the fact, it's like a simultaneous yeah. sort of sort of thing. But it I think the main the the interesting thing is that in addition to like aside from all these trends, it's that like okay if the super league or whatever is not going to happen is the premier league just kind of turning into the to the super league because they their their television revenues i was reading is more than Serie A and bundesliga combined so it doesn't it seems like almost a, a you know and i was also reading that if you just if you stay in the basically just staying in the premier league or making it into the Premier League, you almost make as much money as you do for winning the Champions League. So it, will be, it seems like it, unless there's some countervailing thing to counter this tendency, it seems like all of the money is just going to the Premier League. So all of these teams that we're all, typically for the last five, 10 years associating with being world-class might just become farm teams for these Premier League. Like, you know, we've already discussed it, but how can all of these players be going to these? It, it's not just like Manchester United or Arsenal signing these these players. It's really mediocre Premier League teams that have squads like 18 players deep of like internationals at this point. Like Nottingham Forest just promoted. They bring in 18 players, half of which are like internationals. It's a, it's a bizarre, it's a very bizarre situation. I'm not sure there is a parallel for anything I've lived through at least. Well, in terms of, the Premier League becoming the Super League, that's definitely something that's talked about quite often. And I think that is one of the prime motivators for Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Juventus to form 
the Super League, that they are aware that they cannot compete with this anymore unless they, of course, break away and then the wealth is shared, um, which is right now only getting funneled into England. So that that's definitely something that seems to be happening. And then the rest of the clubs from around Europe, the big ones, traditionally big ones, are looking at it and are wary of what this means for their own leagues and their own business models for the clubs themselves. I think one, one last point, if, I don't know what you think, Ram, but like one reason I've been following Aston Villa very closely this season is because they're a team that's typically not very good bottom, bottom half of the table team that are trying to play a very attacking style. They brought in all these really elegant players, Bailey, Bondia, Coutinho, obviously, Kamara, who's a really interesting ball-playing central mid. And um, so they're tra- if, if the Premier League is going to be a, a super league that's going to be attracting all of these young, talented players, they can't be playing this hoof-it-long style um, because that's not going to attract all of these ball-playing, um, attacking players that typically would go to your Valencias or your Villarreal's, your Sevillas, your, like, Monaco's. Um, but, like, Aston Villa, it, it looks awful, you know? So it seems like there, there still is this gap where even though you have all of this money, there still seems to be uh, this English ethic, <laughs> Like in, in the league, you know, where it's just like it's not full on with the aesthetic quality of Spain or, or in Italy where players might still choose to go there for like I would still go to if I could go and not, not that I can go anywhere. I can hardly get in. <laughs> they didn't let me in the five aside game you know, the other day, but um, uh, they, they didn't. They looked me up and down. They said I didn't have fleets and they're like, ah, well. <laughs> but if I could, I would still, you know, like to play in La Liga. And you here know, we talk Ricky Fuge had problems. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but but so you can see like the, the managers that are trying to bring it in, like it's working for, for, for Howe at Newcastle, but for Jara, it's just like not working at all. So maybe a, a player of the stature of Wendia or Coutinho would still be better served, you know, playing for, a, you know, a top, a top team in, in a lesser league. Um, if you see what my point. All right, guys. Um, time for telling us who you think is the transfer or non-transfer of the window and, and which club do you think has done best? Ryan? Um, hard to say. I can tell you what I fear is the worst. I think Aubameyang to Chelsea might be a disaster. <laughs> Like one of those that you have to root for like really hard because you're hoping and it just doesn't work. Um, and Isak, I thought, was going to, as much as I loved Isak like two years ago, um, he just had, had like no goals last year. You know, he was yeah, he six. Looked, yeah. And I, I felt like this was being overlooked because people who were reporting on it were just like never see watch La Liga so they were like oh he's like like scores bag, bags of goals we've seen his quality for Sweden it's, he, you guys why are we leaning on what he did for Sweden yeah I mean he's a great player but great on the turn and everything but um yeah six goals last season is bad but then he had two in his first match for uh Newcastle or maybe the second one was chalked off or something but um 
yeah, so he looks really good as well. It's, it's not probably the best, but um, yeah, just two that come to mind. I think it has to be, I mean, it has to be probably Holland. Oh yeah, they, if that was this window. Yeah, it's like <laughs> the early Holland in the Mbappe window. Thing feels like it was two years ago at this point. It's, it, it really does, but it, I mean, if we're just being objective, which there's no reason to be, so we yeah. should just say Gabriel Jesus because oh, Arsenal obviously top of the table, you know, Invincibles and all this, and they. It, That's a package you, too. You have to rate it as like Zinchenko and Jesus. It's like great double. But just the energy that he's brought to the team, and and yeah. we were we were optimistically like a few weeks ago saying, look, this is his chance. And he had a weird tenure at, at Manchester City. Pep just never really wanted to play him as a, as a center forward. Um, and then you know, Halan comes in, and Pep all of a sudden is playing with a straight up number nine. So Gabriel Jesus probably has a lot to prove. Like fuck this guy, you know? Like I, I can do this. Um, uh, yeah, I think I don't know. I don't, what do you think, Ajman? Uh, well, I'm I'm gonna just you know go for a well. It's not a. I don't think it's a very eccentric choice, but I think Chalmany to Real Madrid mm. because mm. I mean that position. At least I don't know all the football I've ever watched. That position, like even Leicester, I don't. I think they could have won without Bardi or even Mares. They couldn't have won without Kante six years ago. And the same right. thing like Casemiro, Busquets. Sen, Vieira, Roy Keane, like that position, because to my mind, that position is not an easy position. It's something that you require a certain physicality, you require the ability and the will and the desire to just keep running, tackling. And I think Madrid, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I don't even know if they'll, they probably won't replicate the success they had last year. I mean, I, I can see them winning the league. I can't see them winning the Champions League immediately again. But I think they've really solved something very important, which I think a lot of clubs haven't. In terms of the clubs, I'm not even going to go with a club. I think it might be Brazil national team. If Fred and Casemiro, three months before the World <laughs> Cup, form a partnership. Because if you look at the last few World Cups, They've all the midfields come from one team usually Barcelona, Spain, Bayern, Germany. Right. It wasn't true for France, but they didn't play very attractive football. But if that works out, you don't need too much, right? So I'm, <laughs> that's, not a, that's, that's not a club that has done the mm -hmm. best business, but I think somewhere or the other, the Brazilian national team might actually have benefited the most from this very weird transfer window. And the, 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 I think the, the, the most disappointing for me transfer that didn't happen, just to continue with the thread that I say every week, is like either Ruben Neves or, or, or a Tillisman from you know, Leicester to Arsenal. Because I don't think it's hard to, it's hard to you're, when you're so steeped in, it, in the ideology, they always say it's hard to see outside of it. I really feel like Arsenal are one central midfielder away from being one of the best teams in Europe. And yet every time when they're breaking down the left, who is the player running into the box? It's Xhaka. I don't understand. Like, I, I can't see if I'm just being neurotic and then, like, watching him obsessively. But did you see – do you guys see the game against Villa where he just – there's a 10-yard pass. 
and he just rips a volley into into Martinelli's chest, and, like, and the ball goes out of bounds. Just, what is this guy doing? The guy is so is so poor. Where if you look at the players around him, Martinelli, Saka, Odegaard, Jesus, next to him is Partey. If you have like a real quality central midfielder there, that's all of a sudden. But with Jaka, yeah, it's just that's my Arsenal, the one that could have, the one that got away. On the other hand, for the sake of the Portuguese national team, Ruben Neves is not allowed to leave Wolves. Um, they they also got uh, Gonzalo Guedes this summer. I mean, it, they're just like that is the Portuguese. That's where Ronaldo should be going. Yeah, yeah perfect. Totally. I mean, they need him too. Like he can, you know, Raul Jimenez isn't himself, so that would be perfect. It's yeah. funny. Well, one of the signings. Lewandowski left and he was so crucial for Bayern's success over the last, well, few years, um, Champions League success in 20. Um, what do you, how do you think they're looking now um, with, they haven't, they haven't chosen to replace him with the out and out striker. So what do you guys think? Do they, I mean, I know you've talked about how great they look, but do you think that They'll miss uh, having a focal point at the top of the attack. No, I don't. I mean, obviously, you, obviously, <laughs> obviously, Lewandowski is a player you miss. He also seems like a likable. He seemed like a talismanic figure, um, at least to 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 the Bayern players. But I watched them play against Gladbach. I think Brown did as well. Like, yeah. this team is absolutely rampant. They're playing full speed ahead constantly. Um, yeah, and they were yeah. able to bring Gnabry and uh, Musiala off the bench. Uh, Gnabry's had like his wrist broken for like a couple of years now. I don't know. He's been wearing that cast. Is that like some sort of... I think you like... just taped it up after, right? It's like kind of, uh, you know, like Rip Hamilton's just... um, yeah, uh, yeah, face yeah. mask. Or Peter John Checks, uh, Yeah. John Oliver Checks the helmet. Uh, head helmet also, yeah. But you see how thick that thing is. It's like he's gonna club yeah. someone. But yeah, that's the thing. At- I think, I think that was the game of the week, Gladbach Absolutely. and Bayern. Uh, but for me, it showed that like Bayern was great to watch. But if that same game last year they win like four one, they yeah you get hit on the break eventually. But like it's more that Gladbach is demoralized after like get letting in three or four goals. Lewandowski scoring a weird you know like. Uh, heel flake or something and, whereas it was just not happening and as much as the moves were fantastic they just couldn't finish I put that up to to Jan Sommer though that's uh, he, fair as we were mentioning before most saves in Bundesliga history and even if they didn't give that statistic it was the man was, un, was unbeatable like, yeah. he was absolutely that, but, but even if they will miss Lewandowski in terms of what you're saying he probably would have found a way to score the style of play that they seem to be adopting is like the one that Klopp kind of wants to adopt but doesn't have good enough players to which is full-on frenetic all the time and so in Mane you almost have the ideal center forward because he can move at that level um, Mm -hmm. in like a false nine switches around but he also has a track record of scoring like 20 goals and you have Gnabry who comes on. He's given you 20 goals in the past. The question is whether Leroy Sané. I was about to say, I think it's the best version of Leroy Sané that I've seen Yeah, uh, yeah. right now. He looks confident and 
the interchange with with Mane is just going to get better, but it already is exciting. You know, so. Yeah, that that team. I think that team's an early, uh, a big. They look fantastic. Big, they're yeah. one of the big favorites. I think you know for 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 Champions League. I think like one of the, them and them and probably Real at this point for me. Well, they play um, Inter this Tuesday, I think, or Wednesday. Um, in that group, that seems to be the trickier group where you have Bayern, Barcelona, and Inter. Do you think any upsets are possible? If you Bayern, if they're looking so strong, what about Barcelona? Do you think that Inter could challenge them and perhaps pip them to second place? It happened last year. They, Barcelona didn't get out of their group. So... Obviously, they're strengthened this year, but any either in that group or other groups, do you see any upsets taking place? I see you haven't, you know, you have, you haven't been reading the, the can the subaltern speak, Ashwin. You've completely overlooked Victoria Plizen, who I think have a strong, strong chance of coming through the group. Excellent in the check. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was that famous video i forget the clubs but there was the famous video like a few years ago when a similar statue club got put against in the same group as you know three of european giants and the and the and the owner of the club or the manager they just panned him when the group was announced and his head put his heads in his hand and he started shaking his head it's pretty devastating for this but i think uh what do you think Brown? i think just i think a blitz from 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 bayern and uh and barca yeah, I mean, there's some interesting groups. I think that, that Group A is very interesting because I think Liverpool will run away with it, but then um, second place should be fun there. All those teams are, you know, Ajax, Napoli, this version of Rangers. Um, but other than that, like, Leverkusen looks looks bad. Um, it's not a good <laughs> version of that. I mean, I hope for Callum Hudson-Odoi's sake that he goes there and sort of revives his career, but uh, otherwise... Group B might be good just because every, after Atletico, I don't know if uh, what version of Porto we get after selling so many other players. Um, but yeah, and I don't see Inter beating Barca right now because uh, who knows? But I think it'll be a fun game to watch if it just depends on which Dembele shows up because I think Barca will have a lot of that ball and Inter will sit in. Um, but it's, it doesn't excite me as much as people are saying, excited about this group because Bayern, Barca, Inter. But I think Bayern will run over Barca. Barca will nick by Inter. And yeah. Speaking of that group, Victoria, Prison, I mean, unless they lose all six games, mm. if they even draw one, you know, that's what happens. Yeah. The, the lousiest, well, sorry, not last, but the team least. The least. <laughs> The least financially resourced. Yeah. Right, exactly. They manage, you know, it's it's their draw or their sneak victory. I mean, victory might be a bit much, but but you know, they managed to pull out a draw, and that that really affects the whole yeah. dynamic of the other three teams. And it's as rare to like, see a team lose all six, right? I can see Benfica getting through over Juve is as an upset. Mm-hmm. It depends. It depends on how how quickly uh, Pogba and Di Maria and what's what's Chiesa's situation? Is it a long term injury or? It's been a long term injury. Yeah. So I mean, I, I I watched them play or attempted to watch them play. Um, 
at the at the weekend. I watched like twenty minutes or whatever. They're they're just they they have this Blahovic. I mean, he scored an absolutely ridiculous free kick. <laughs> he looks like a complete a maniac uh, from the way he acts and, and w- with all of the talent to go with it. But behind him, it was it was so mediocre. Um, and and same with Inter. I was just, you know, they still have the name Inter, but if you just look at their starting lineup from you know the the last match, it's it's very it's very subpar. It's like a it's a middle of the Premier League team, like at best. I mean, their their lead man is probably Aiden Jekyll. But however, <laughs> however old he is, he's still leading the line, and so it doesn't it doesn't look good. But um, well, yeah, guys, I don't know. You guys skipped over Group D. I mean, there it doesn't seem like there's a clear like the clear two who would go through. I mean, it's it's they're not great teams, any of them. But I think that would be a fun one. Yeah. Um. Yeah, a lot of exciting younger players. I saw Amin Harit finally joined Marseille on, I think it's permanent now, or it's loan to buy kind of thing. Um, so that, that'll that be fun. I have no idea who's going to come in second, but I'm guessing that Kane and Son get you know Tottenham through. It's a very mediocre group. Yeah. It's probably, it's probably the weakest group. You think so? Because I'm looking at that Salzburg and Zagreb make yeah. <laughs> the the overall of that Chelsea Milan group pretty bad. Well to say yeah. nothing to say nothing oh, of Chelsea to, themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But it, because another issue with Frankfurt is we're used to the last few years where they've been good, but uh, they've just they they sold Kostic, who is just the wizard on the left wing and they looked horrible when they played Bayern, for example. So um, yeah, this might uh, it might be fun just because there's so many teams that you're just not so sure about. Well, the standout game um, up next week seems to be PSG, Juventus. What do you guys think? Um, I think this is also a good game to gauge where both teams are. Juventus undergoing the post-Ronaldo surgery and and recovery period. and um, I think PSG just hammered them. That's my prediction. (laughs) Okay, that's very affirmative. The thing is, Juventus, Juventus is not very is not very good, so maybe. <laughs> I thought maybe, you were going to say something else there. It's just like, the thing is, it's not very good. <laughs> no, no, like you can see it. If Di Maria, if he can stay healthy and he and he recaptures form, he's like a magical player. So if they had Pogba, Chiesa with Vlaovic, and and you know they've had the same. They've had the same wing, uh, you know, outside backs for a long time. Juventus, I mean, they're solid defensively, but it, it's. I, I still think they're good enough to challenge PSG. I, I, I continue to, to see huge vulnerability with PSG. Like I was watching them play. Um, I forget who they were playing. Uh, they, they, oh, yeah, yeah, they drew. They, yeah, yeah, but before, yeah, but the games are coming so Monaco. Fast. Like, yeah, league. yeah, exactly. So I watched the full match versus Monaco. Yeah. And the thing is, it's not just like the result, but the thing is, there, there's a huge. Oh, if you okay, if you watch like let's say the structure of the way a team like City plays, or even a, a team like Arsenal, the players get the ball and they move the ball very quickly, especially in the in 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 their own half. Like Odegaard, world class player, but he still he gets the ball off of his feet very quickly. 
Neymar, he likes to come but ch- check deep for the ball, and so does Verratti. And you very rarely, if 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 Neymar is shielding the ball, and Verratti shielding the ball, and Ryan, I'm sure you can identify with this as like a player. They want to. They have like an ego thing, is the way I read it. They think I'm too good for this guy who's pressing me right now. There's yeah. no way I'm just going to play the simple pass. I'm I'm going to wait for the opening him. and either I'm going to yeah. turn him or play a very clever, you know, slip yeah. pass. And they insist on doing it. And so it's like they're too good. And that's an ego thing that comes with being too good and not being consistently challenged over the course of your career. Mm. So, okay, that's that's my read. And so I think that it, while it works sometimes, obviously, and Neymar gets the mag or whatever, but they are inevitably vulnerable to the counterattack because sometimes Verratti and Neymar just lose the ball. They lose it a pretty low percentage given how risky they're their style of play is but it's so unnecessary very rarely do i see like neymar check on the uh, you know he checks on, on the wing holds the ball shields for like a long time gets the meg and then it leads to some goal scoring opportunity it more or less just leads to him getting fouled and rolling around and that's the real issue that not mo- not circulating the ball quick enough means that they don't produce chances as much as they should no, they, they no. don't so I, I think they seem yeah. vulnerable and to corroborate that Neymar thing, it was a while ago when you were talking about like Neymar's issue with Julian Draxler in training that had right. some dust up. Yeah. I think he's gone now. He's, he went to Benfica in the window. Um, but Good for him. His, it's like getting out arg- of a toxic relationship. Uh, like, yeah. yeah, they got into a fight. And I mean, I think Draxler, especially at that stage, was like a really good technical player. And Neymar's uh, sort of his uh, attack on Draxler was that you you always play backwards you you yeah, never yeah. you never beat a man and like it shows kind of your mentality that like normally if you're in a like a city team the idea is you go through the progression your first pass is backwards because that's what that's how we're shifting yeah. the rubik's cube and right. eventually creating another chance and getting a switch on but Neymar's like switch you don't need to switch <laughs> right i'm going to make three players and then yeah, yeah. it's a, it's, but, it's just yeah. To bring it back to the Juve point, I mean, it's they it's they don't even have the same wing backs that they had so long. I mean, yeah, Quadrado's still there. Neymar one v one against Quadrado. I think Quadrado can still like put up a fight just because his his you know his he's his always awkward. Yeah, <laughs> his Juan, but like Danilo and like Dechilio, they they just haven't proved it in Syria, much less like at this level. And I think they're just gonna get burned by Mbappe, Neymar, and Messi. Um, like you can't play Danilo like anymore. You know, there's it's just <laughs> it was hasn't been working for a while. So that's my take. Yeah. Will be a good gauge though where the teams are because like the problem in France is you never really know you can win six nil and then it doesn't really tell you much whether your team's progressed in a way. And there are defensive inconsistencies. It's what you're saying, that they lose the ball and then there's a very desperate kind of defense which is at work. Um, and it's interesting that Gautier, uh, the manager, even though they have Ramos, okay, he's old, but he's, he's, I mean, he's still got a year or two left. Kimpembe and Marquinhos, he, he's asked for a defender. I don't know if they've actually right. managed to get one, but he must see something right in the game which, which doesn't really... Um, give them the solidity that uh, is is required, especially when you're playing bigger teams and in, 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 in cups. 
it seems like Ashwin like it, there's just an imbalance with PSG. Yeah. Like Pochettino played four in the back, but he really played five in the back because he liked playing Danilo Pereira and Danilo just sat in in the back as well. So it seems like it's like instead of having an actual team where it's balanced, they have a team where they have the superstars play up front and they don't defend. And then they're trying to scramble to put together the rest of the team on a somewhat more of a budget because it's not as sexy to a PSG fan base to sign like a competent central defender. You know, they just want to keep signing. So it just seems, I don't know, like you, in order to be on PSG, you have to be a ball playing player, but you also have to be really good defending a, you know, a counter attack a few times a match. And there aren't really that many of them. And Sergio Ramos is 36. Um, yeah. he looks that's definitely the weak link I think at the back Ramos but again just for the purpose of comparing with Juve Adrian Rabiot will be playing in center midfield <laughs> I'm just saying at this stage that the problems are deeper although Rabiot against PSG that might be his breakout right. game so it's actually more interesting the more we talk about it than than uh than I'm than I was thinking it's being dismissive but I still think PSG wins it by Good we'll find out in a few days. Well, speaking of all the Champions League contenders, most of them have done well, right? They've started the season well, City, um, Real Madrid, but uh, even PSG, they drew over the weekend, but they seem, at least in their league, to have begun well. Not true for Liverpool. They managed to sneak a victory, and then that might be you know, a turning point. You need a little bit of luck to actually get you going. Mm. And like I said last week, it's, it's, it's you know, commendable that they managed to uh, still get a draw when they were a man down. But they are the most consistent team over the last four or five years in the Champions League. They've only won one, but they are, they've reached the final thrice in the last six years. How do you think the season's shaping up with the midfield problems that you guys have discussed so often do you see something coming out of this which would will they will they compete um because i also noticed that you don't see them having any trouble getting out of the group what do you think liverpool still probably a good cup team even if the league doesn't know no i don't i i think liverpool is very mediocre team this year i don't i don't i mean we've been saying it for a, a while but they played against Newcastle without St. Maximan, Bruno Guimaraes, uh, Colin Wilson, and their two starting center backs at home in Anfield after a 9 nothing win. And the game was pretty much even. Um, as far as I saw, it, you know, Newcastle had the better of the play for. It's like, it's, it's like Newcastle, they only have one response. It's like it's it's almost sad. It's like watching someone, like a prize fighter who's past his prime and doesn't know what to do except keep charging forward and try to throw haymakers, and he keeps getting hit in the face. And you're like, man, stop, stop it! Like you're not, <laughs> you can't do this anymore. You're too slow, you know. And they just keep taking concussions. It's sad to watch. I mean, Liverpool, it's, just, it's so frenetic, but they just don't have the quality. It's very clear. Just watch a Bayern, watch Bayern play, and then watch Liverpool play. Liverpool, you know, I'm not sure how many of, of their players, would, you know, would, would get into would get into a Bayern type team. Um, I, I, think, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, go ahead. No, I think as they start sort of losing more in the Premier League, 
Champions League might become more of the priority. And when they're full strength and like, let's say in a few months, Darwin Nunez is fully kicking and like, you know, sort of up to speed and Thiago healthy, etc. Um, they might turn it on for the Champions League, but otherwise I think, yeah, it might, um, it, it might just be an easy group for them to get out of because Napoli has lost so many players and Ajax has lost the their core basically from last year. They have, they have a, they're, new, and their coach. And their coach, yeah. They have a bunch of new young players, but, um, and so it'll be, an upset would be, like would just cement like Liverpool being way off of their normal pace, but I don't think it'll happen. I feel a bit sorry for what happened to Newcastle. I mean, now within the space of 10 days, they've got a great result against, they could have got a good result in Anfield. They could have beaten City. But there is something to be said about these maybe middle-rung teams like Newcastle and Palace who... They scared City this this past weekend. I mean, they 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 were up two goals, and then it seemed like you just run out of fuel as you approach the middle of the second half. In which case, and 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 that is when the bigger team like City or Liverpool, or oh, not Liverpool this year, but they just took over. There was a statistic that that Liverpool has conceded first in eight of their last nine matches. And Man City have now been down 2-0 in four of their last seven matches. So there's definitely something strange going on. Um, both in, Liver- in, in Liverpool's case, I think it's just that they're, they're getting worse. But in the case of, like, Palace playing against City, I mean, I think Palace, you know, Palace, a full strength, if they keep all their players healthy, I think, like, quietly their ambition internal to the club would have to be like something like a you know a top seven top eight finish. I mean they're absolutely unbelievable. They're an unbelievable team. Great manager. They play well. They're one of the few teams that defend really well and have a very stylish attack. Um, it's really nice how Patrick Bears put it together. And he this last this last week. I mean they they drew Brentford, but he played Alise, Zaha, um, and Eze. Uh, and Mateta all together. So he's like four really attacking players um, with Schlup uh, and uh, Kamar, uh, who else? Another center midfielder. I mean, it's a, it's a really good it's a really good team. And I think Arsenal got really lucky that they played them week one before they figured out. Because I think most I think most teams when they look at Palace, they're thinking, oh shit, <laughs> you know. And it's like another thing. Like Zaha didn't leave again. He's just like the one that he's just a complete, he's a complete enigma. Like he has everything. He's so likable. His work ethic is very high. It's, it's amazing that he's not, you know, starring for, for a top team in my eyes. What about their opposition this past weekend, City? I mean, there's, I mean, I know that in the beginning, I think, Mark, you'd said that Halan may or may not... I mean, he's not the type of player that Kane is, right? That How does he fit right. into um, the City style? He scored a lot of goals, two hat-tricks, uh, consecutive hat-tricks, obviously. That hasn't happened in a while. But 
And I mean, those were like a lot of those were tap-ins and so on. And obviously still doesn't take away from the performance, but do you think that City have now accommodated or they've changed their game a little bit to, um, which is more suited to that type of center forward? I haven't seen, I don't know what you think, Ryan. Like I haven't, I haven't seen them. I haven't seen them adjust their play that much. It's more, he, he, Holland is, is at that level. He's just by far the best center forward in the world and probably the best center forward we've seen in, in, a, in a long time. So he can score the header goal. He can score the, you know, the cleanup goal in front. He can score a through ball. He can score like a little slip pass. Um, so he's, I think like the, the danger that I think we were worried about a couple of weeks ago is that Pep would be too stubborn to just like adjust his play a little bit. Um, but Halan, almost all of the goals he scored as far as I can remember um, except for that one through ball from De Bruyne a few weeks ago have been, you know, when the defense is camped within, you know, the base and park the bus and he's still finding, finding, finding the space. Um, he's, he's so strong. It's, it, I don't think anyone ever doubted that he's going to succeed at city. It's just whether city was going to utilize him properly. And he, because he's just so much better than the opposition. He's like, He's bigger and stronger than even like a Van Dyke, and he's fast and he can finish. Um, and he's like young and hungry, and he hasn't won anything yet. Um, it's ridiculous. Well, coming to Spain, Barcelona and Madrid both have some stern tests. Sevilla away for Barcelona and Betis, which is probably less of a test, but they've done really well against Madrid over the last few years and always a tricky they like to play that attacking football that sometimes works against Madrid um, what do you reckon they, um, both Barcelona and Madrid have got off to good starts Madrid more than Barcelona perhaps but you reckon anything I mean with the Champions League matches coming up ahead in midweek whether one eye on that will actually allow Sevilla and Betis to take more out of the game than they normally would have? I mean, these are both quality quality teams. Um, the thing is, both Barcelona, I think, should be clicking into gear. They looked all right um, at, at the weekend. They went right back to Busquets, and, you know, got the young back out of there, which is kind of just disappointing. Um but yeah, I mean, Rafinha looked good. Uh, Lewandowski got his goals going, and Madrid were tested really sternly versus Espanyol. It was a fantastic match. But yeah, your point with Chuamani—he's—he's he's such quality, and Kamavinga, who they've brought in really intelligently. And it's just they have too much. Um, they—they have just too much quality, which is whereas Liverpool, you know, like when they get when they when they get pressed by a hard team they just get manic and they try to go over the top and the game Madrid just completely chills and they're just like we're better we're gonna find our moment and we're gonna score it's fine and I, so I, I see that even if there's a blip against one of these teams I see that as the trend going forward you know I think these teams are both really good Madrid in particular at the moment 
Well, the last, I mean, obviously the pick of the games this weekend around is, I think, Arsenal, Man United. Doesn't have the same ring to it as it had in the Wenger, <laughs> Ferguson, heyday, but perhaps we're getting there again, you know, with Arsenal coming. I think this is their first true test. I mean, Palace, like you said, was the first game of the season. After that, they've done well. The last couple of games, they've had to come from behind in one of them and also then uh, get a winner when they conceded relatively late on against Villa. But this is a test. I mean, this is a resurgent Man United who Ten Hag's finally decided what he's going to do with Ronaldo, which is keep him on the bench. So there's a shape, there's a structure which he's working on. Obviously, a team in progress, work in progress, like Arsenal. What do you reckon? And it's played at Old Trafford, so that, that's an added advantage for United. Or maybe a disadvantage because the pressure of the home crowd <laughs> you know, might be. What do you reckon? I reckon Arsenal have 33 more matches to win or draw to repeat the invincible <laughs> season. You know, I think they're, they're miles ahead of United at the moment. I think they're miles ahead of everyone except City. Uh, at, at the moment it was nice to see them come back um you know to to see that there's a bit of spine um in the team right. but yeah you wouldn't be surprised as an arsenal fan if they if they waver a bit you'd probably be su- surprised as a united fan if the team if our united can do anything i mean let's not get carried away they beat a liverpool who's completely flailing and they had a narrow win against Southampton. I mean, these aren't exactly. But Southampton you know. and Leicester, they won away. Like, you know, they ground out two one nils away. They beat Liverpool. So it's a good, I mean, it's a probably prefer playing them a couple of weeks ago when they were, you know, down and out. But it's a team which is at least gathering their forces just a bit. If, if Arsenal is, you know, what we hope they are, th- this should be. A match that they they can go and and win and impose themselves. If they can't, then they're basically the Arsenal that we've seen, which is they can just outplay you know mediocre competition and kind of put their tails between their legs once they play against the actual big big European teams. Well, we'll see what happens. Arsenal has one extra day of rest, which who knows how much of a difference that makes at this point of the season. You but... know, at our age, man, even an extra hour of sleep, it's like oh. well on that note thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week